0: All right, today we're in Revelation 13, verses 1 through 4. Um, There's blue Bibles under your chair if you don't have a Bible. Um, That would be page 599 um, or at the end of the book because there's two sizes now of Bibles. All right. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to be mortal, a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast and who can fight against it? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. It's a revelation would you. So we are talking about satan through the book of revelation this little section one of my favorite movie quotes of all time the devil's greatest trick was convincing people he did not exist the usual suspects one of the best movies i don't want to spoil it if you haven't seen it, all you younger people but it's a great movie kevin spacey back before he was canceled the devil his best trick is convincing people he does not exist is that a true statement according to all the data Yes. Xavier mentioned this last week, but all sort of religious data that's trying to track what people believe or believe in and all that says more and more people don't believe in spiritual things, and the devil is at the bottom of the list of what people believe in. Here's a quick chart of just one of those. So God's the top line, angels, heaven, hell, starting in 2000 to 2024, so just over the course of two decades, shrinking belief in those things, and the people do not believe in the devil more and more and more and more. Why? Because the devil's greatest trick was convincing people he did not exist. So why do we need a message like this today? Because the devil has been suffocated out of our world, yet he's still alive. There's a target on all of our backs, according to what we read in this passage here, and the devil is very good at what he does. So what are we going to do? We're going to talk about the devil today. Here's my big idea, just to give you We need a heavenly image of Satan. You're like, what does that mean? Heaven and Satan don't go together. What revelation is. Revelation means apocalypse. It's revealing. It's God pulling back the curtain of how life really is on earth and in heaven. And he pulls it back. And in this little section here, he's showing us what the devil is really like. So we need God's perspective on what the devil is really like. And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to walk through this section. And I'm going to unpack three myths that I think all of us are duped by when it comes to Satan. Three myths of Satan that all of us tend to fall into over and over and over again. So here's just a reminder. Xavier did a great job last week. Revelation 12, 13, 14. Revelation is a crazy book. And if you're like a grandparent who just came here to sweet, sweet Zoe, I'm going to introduce you to one of the craziest pieces of literature you'll ever see. Revelation. But 12, 13, 14 is God talking about life on earth specifically for the church. What is it like to be a Jesus follower on earth? Read Revelation 12, 13, 14. He's not going to give you principles. He's going to give you grand, grandiose, crazy images to talk about life on earth. And he's not talking about strictly the future. Revelation was written to churches that are in modern-day Turkey, and the letter was passed around And they read it, and it applied to their life 2,000 years ago. And now we open up our Bibles this morning in 2023, and we read, and it applies now. And our great-great-grandkids, if they're sitting in a Bible-teaching church and they unpack Revelation, it's going to apply to them just the same. Revelation is not some future hypothesis. It's practical and applicable, even in this moment Here's a quote from one of the commentators, just to give that perspective. Here's what this man would say. John's purpose is not to construct a scenario for a specific series of events in the distant future. Think left behind books, late great planet Earth. But to interpret, not literally, but very imaginatively, certain developments in his own day. So the Apostle John's day. Here's the big kicker. Once we stop looking for a blueprint of the future in the book of Revelation... We can gain insight from the picture he paints into the conflict between good and evil in every generation, including our own. What does John want? He wants us to gain insight about good and evil in our very moment right now. That's what he wants. And how are we going to do that? We're going to unpack some myths. So I want insight from John. Here's the first myth I want to talk about from this scripture. Myth number one is Satan is easy to spot. I think we all overassume our wisdom and discernment. At least I do. I remember training up a young pastor at another spot and I asked him, what's your, like, number one gift, you think? And he said, wisdom. And I said, really? <laughs> I think we all just assume, like, I'm not the one that get duped. Like, in counterfeit money, we all think we're the mint employees. Like, we're the ones who can spot it. But in reality, we're, so I had a friend in high school. I hung out with a group of friends, and I was, like, the best kid of a bunch of bad kids. That's kind of was my space. One of the kids was a very troubled kid. He made counterfeit money for a hobby in high school. And where did he go spend his counterfeit $20 bills? He did not go to the bank. He didn't go to anywhere with competent adults. He went to Fuddruckers. (laughs) And he bought burgers and he got change back. Why? Because that 14-year-old behind the counter has zero discernment. I don't know where we're at, but we're closer to Fuddruckers employees than mint government (laughs) workers in our ability to spot Satan in his work. Let's just all humbly say, it's probably spot on, Pastor. (laughs) Where do I see that happening? There's three sort of pictures of his counterfeit nature in this. The first is a Trinitarian imagery. You're like, what? Let's just walk through I'm going to walk through these passages here. The three evil things talked about in this section are a dragon, X covered it last week, a sea beast, I'm going to cover it, and a land beast. So Revelation 12.3, if you have your Bibles, go back and read X. Covered this last week. But Revelation 12.3 introduces to this crazy guy, the dragon. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. There's the dragon. The sea beast, Revelation 13, 1 through 2, what Luke just read. Now I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns, seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns, and blasphemous, blasphemous names on its head. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and his great authority. Scary person number two. Scary person number three, the land beast, Revelation 13, 11, and 12. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. Track the logic with me. There is a dragon who gives his authority to this second beast. There is the second beast who receives power and authority and sits on a throne given to him by the dragon. And there is this third beast coming up from the land who exercises all the authority in the presence of the second beast, sort of like his helper, you might say. What is? It's almost like father, son, spirit. Why? Because Satan can only counterfeit. He has no original ideas. He's never created anything. He's only contorted and distorted and deceived. So even the imagery we get that John sees is sort of like a really distorted, ugly picture of a Trinitarian relationship. Why? Because he is a counterfeit. John would say this in his gospel about Satan. There is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. What's he speak? English, Spanish? No, nope. everything that comes out is a lie. For he's a liar and the father of lies. So the image the early church got and we get is this twisted version of a trinity. Why? Because that's what Satan is like. He's a counterfeit. He's a fake. He's a phony. The second imagery we get is wounded Messiah imagery. Where do I get this from? Go to verse 3, describing this first beast. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed this beast. Jump down to verse 12, the second beast talking about that same wound. It, talking about the first beast, exercises all authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. Was Satan wounded? Yes. With a cross and a resurrection, God dealt a blow to him. But the picture that Revelation gives us is it's sort of healed. Like the wound didn't take him out the first time. Is there coming a day when Satan and evil and death will be dealt with finally and completely? Yes, but that is not now. We have this wounded, warrior, Messiah-type evil force at work in the world, and his name is Satan. It's like a scorpion on its last leg. I just started looking for scorpions, and I have found two in my house. I've been there three years, and I want to move, like, right away. <laughs> you kill them. And they can still sort of hurt you. And Satan sort of got a few more tail wags in him before God takes him out. But he's still on the move with this mortal, Messiah-like wound. Think of that imagery. Like Satan is not going to present himself as this evil, red, horn-like figure. He's going to present himself as a messiah type to fix, to help. Think of like the world's greatest evils. Abortion in America can tie itself to an activist wanting to rid the world of poverty. How are we going to do that? Well, let's get rid of all the babies that would be born into poverty anyways. You start with something good and right in this cause, and it just gets twisted and contorted. Why? Because Satan is a counterfeit communism. We can go on and on, and I can make every political side angry. I don't want to do that, but everything is tainted by this wounded warrior who is still alive and well and not totally defeated yet. Here's the third image, and it's not a picture. It's actually a number. Is the number 666. Six, six. Go to verse 18. This is this famous Some of you have been waiting for this a long time. Here we go, verse 18. Finally, we're here. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six, six, six. What is he talking about? Most people that are smart would say, I don't know. (laughs) Most people that take strong attempts, they want to tie it to some historical figure. Here's the problem. Whether it's Hebrew or Greek or English, you could, like, come up with a name that's tied to 666 for every name ever made. Joshua, J-O-S-H-U-A, shoot. Aubrey, A-U-B-R-E, shoot. Elijah, E. They think Nero, maybe. Here's what I think John is trying to do. Everything in this book is symbolism. Pictures and even numbers. What's the church represent us? The 144,000. That's the church. What's perfection? Seven. What's as close to perfection as you can get? Six. So it's a numeric way to say Satan is a counterfeit. If seven, seven, seven is perfection. Satan is six, six, six. He's close to looking like, but he's not. He is a counterfeit. And we need to remember that. I just, last week, I was hunting in Georgia with a bunch of pastors. I won't share all my hunting stories because most of them are failures, but I'll share this one. <laughs> killed three things. Killed some deer, killed a wild hog. It was amazing. Here's the thing about deer. They see better than me. They hear better than me. They smell. Every one of their senses is better than mine. And yet, simpleton from Arizona, sitting there in Georgia, taking out these deer. Flip that now. Satan, who has better senses than all of us, and is better at camouflaging himself, is sitting there with us in his crosshairs. And he has convinced this world, especially Western America, that he no longer exists. And he's watching, and he desires to kill, to steal, to destroy. Myth number one, Satan is easy to spot. Here's the truth. Satan is a counterfeit. That is hard to see for all of us. Here's myth number two. Satan wants to be a scary supporting actor. What do I mean by that? One of the most annoying things about being a parent that loves sports is watching sports online or whatever, and then the commercials come on, because almost every time I've got to turn it off. I used to think it was because sexual stuff, but now it's just all the scary movies. I Googled, like, what scary movies are out right now? Basically... All of them. Exorcist is back. Saw. We got this stupid one with these like Chuck E. Cheese type characters that are going into like all of these scary movies are out right now. And I think that like comical Hollywood version of Satan is what most people attribute to Satan. Like he just wants to be this scary, tormenting, frightening figure in our lives. And he wants to scare us. And that is, you don't get that anywhere in Scripture. Nowhere. You get that from Hollywood. So whatever those things are, they are not representative of anything evil that the book of Revelation wants us to encounter and get acquainted with. Uncle Screwtape says this. It's funny how mortals always picture us putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things Out. Uncle Screwtape, Screwtape Letters, teaching a young demon how to be a demon. What's the demon's job? To take stuff out of our mind. What is the demon activity in the world taken out of our mind? A true biblical picture of Satan. He doesn't want to scare. That's silly. What does he want then? Let's just read verse 4, verse 5, verse 6. And listen for the verbs describing what this one is after. It exercises all, again talking about the beast, all authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It, the beast, performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. What is the key word describing what the devil wants? It's worship. Now, raise your hand if you walked in here a devil worshiper. Nobody's going to raise your hand. There are people who would legitimately claim that's there. And here's what's interesting about the word worship. It's like a churchy religious word. Here's how general public would. There are people who are religious who worship deities or a god. And there are people who are not religious. That might be you in this room. I don't worship. Psychology, the Bible, sociology would say every single human is a worshiper. It's not a matter of if, but who, into what direction you bow. That's the biblical word for worship. And Satan is after worship. He wants everyone to worship. And according to this, here's how Revelation would sum this up. Way more precise in black and white than most of us are comfortable with. If you are a worshiper of God if your name is written in the book of life. You are a worshiper of Satan if your name is not written in the book of life. Book of life is just another way to say those who are sealed by God with faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit as a seal. There are Jesus worshipers and there are Satan worshipers, period. Now, that does not fly in our day and age. That's not going to fly at your neighborly happy hour you host next week. But that's what Revelation tells us. Now, here's the question. Christians in this room, can Satan change that reality in my life? If I'm following Jesus, my name is in the book of life, can he twist that and turn that, and now I'm worshiping him? Short answer would be no. But he can harm us. So he wants worship, and if you will not worship, let's read what he wants to do for those of us who refuse to worship Satan. Verse 7 says this. And it was allowed to make war On the saints, that would be Christians, and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Go down to verse 15. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Worshiping of Satan is never used regarding Christians in the book of Revelation. What is used is they will be conquered, they will be slain, they will be harmed by Satan. That's his goal. The book of Job is a picture. I used to think the book of Job was like the all-star version of Christianity. Like, I would never have that. And I, the more the older I get, the more I think Job is sort of painting what life is like for a normal Christian. It might not get that extreme. I pray it doesn't for any of us. But the reality is that Satan is at work. He's on a leash that God is holding. But he's at work, and he's going after the saints to harm them and to get them to try to blaspheme their God. He is after us to conquer and to slay so what does john say to us verse 10 here's his pastoral insight into this reality if anyone is to be taken captive to captivity goes that might be some of us more than likely not if anyone is to be slain with a sword with a sword must he be slain What is the call of this book? Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. And that right there is a theme for what the book of Revelation was given to us for. So that we might endure and hold fast to our faith in a world where Satan is alive and well. Myth number one, Satan wants to be a scary supporting actor. That is not true. He wants to be worshiped. And if you will not, he is coming for you to harm you. Myth number three, final myth. Satan is at work only in bad places. You know those places. It's the political party you hate, their headquarters. (laughs) It's drug dealers, homes. You can fill in the blank. I think a lot of us think that way. In a very simplistic, like, ah. Like I follow this guy on Twitter, I love him, but he always posts the most gruesome, news stories involving children. Most of it's academic stuff, and then he always says, this is demonic. And we'd all say, yes, that's... But is Satan only at work in the shadows and in the dark? Like, a question for you, just personally. Where did you experience the work of Satan this last week? I think most of us would say, I don't think I did. Despite, we all walk in here with a week full of sin and decisions, and time spent in places we shouldn't be. So, I Does Satan only work in bad places? Let's just read where I think John wants us to see that is not true. Verse 15. This is tied to that very famous Mark of the Beast. Verse 15. What's the Beast doing? It was allowed to give breath to the image of the Beast so that the image of the Beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the Beast to be slain. So that's his job with the Christians. And now this is the whole world because it switches from saints to everyone. For the whole world, it causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be marked on their right hand or on their forehand. Why? So that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Six, the mark of the beast is something on the forehead or something on the hand. This is where a lot of Christians, especially in the last few decades, have really tried to figure out, what is it? Here's the danger in thinking it's some future reality. So let's, I don't think this is true, but assume there is an actual mark of the beast that is going to be distributed. Okay? Okay. And some of us take it. Some of us don't. But Satan's behind it, who is a deceiver and a confuser. So we're not even going to know if I took it or did my neighbor. For example, social security number, which is a way to mark us all with a number, has been talked about being the mark of the beast. So raise your hand if that truth alone, you are hosed when you think about eternity. (laughs) The most literal reading would be like an actual tattoo, which is a lot of y'all. Like, the only people going to heaven, if tattoos are the mark of the beast, are me and Steve Sillyman. We are on <laughs> to glory. The rest of you pagans with that marking. Or, back to the original quote, here's what I think we need to think through. Let's not think about the future in some gimmicky thing. Let's gain insight from the picture being painted here into the conflict we're all in between good and evil right now in this moment. So what is being talked about? Here's what I think is being addressed and why we miss it a lot. It's talking about an aspect of sin that I think our culture and our churches don't highlight enough. Here's the aspect of sin that most of us are familiar with. I'm going to go sort of Venn diagram on it. Human evil. What is sin? What is sin? I'm a lustful, greedy, angry person. That's sin. And you could fill in the blank with whatever, and your spouse is a blankety-blankety-blank, blank, blank, blank. blank. We, it's human sin, individual sin that comes from my own heart and comes out of my mouth, my feet, my hands, and hurts people. That is very true, and that is sin. Now, if you grew up in a, a charismatic background, you maybe got to this aspect of sin. There's also Satan, what we're talking about. There's Satan and demons, and they're alive and well. And Satan seems to be the one with the most power, but it doesn't say even all the demons are under Satan's control. It just says there's Satan and tons of demons. Some of us have gotten there. I think our cultural moment, we downplay that one so much. And this next one, I think, is the one that a lot of us never even get to. There's evil in this world we'll call it systemic and structural. Like every institution, organization, country, government, board, bylaws, everything is a part of a world system that has evil in a parasitic way tied to everything. this It's everywhere. And you're like, this is, what are you talking about? I was talking with a Southern Baptist guy from the South on this trip. We were talking about racism and stuff. And I just had the epiphany. He doesn't have that category of world evil. So every racist talk or racism talk is like, are you calling me racist? I'm like, no. Because it's only like, I'm not a racist. so that, It's like, okay, but there's systems in place that are tainted by evil. Let's give some examples. Pornography. Some of you walked in here with serious sin and pornography, even this last week. Why? The simple answer is the top one. Because your heart led you astray. But I also think there is a demonic hold on sex and sexuality in our cultural moment. And the systems in place... Foster and feed that to make pornography and sexual deviancy really easy. So which one of those is to blame? All of them. You're greedy in this room. You're in debt. We could go through. Why? Because I'm not content. Why am I not content? Well, there are systems in this world that force me to face all that I don't have over and over and over again. And there's Satan and demonic activity working in this. What is the mark of the beast? I think it's just a reality. If we're going to be Christians in this world, sin taints everything. And it's not like there's actually going to be a day where there's some mark on our hands, where we go to fries and get your drink. But every time you swipe your credit card, there's a reality that you could be participating in good, evil, or a mixture Based off how this, and you're like, gosh, what do I even do with this? It reminds me of my mom. My mom is gifted in so many ways. Her top two gifts are baking. I saw her last night, and she always just shows up randomly with baked goods. Pumpkin muffins last night. We're at a fe- I said, Mom, we're going to a festival by your house. I got some muffins for you. Great. <laughs> her other gift is this. She is the queen of bringing up terrible news stories. Did you hear? No, I didn't. <laughs> the 10,000 puppies? I. They were drowned? Ah, well, you didn't hear that one? What did you hear? And she could go on and on. <laughs> I sort of feel that way as I walk through this. Like, what are you supposed to do with all this information? Other than be like me with my mom, like, ah, I don't know. John ends this way more practically than I expected him to. But he doesn't use the word I thought he would use. I would think after all this, he would say, now Christians, those whose names are written in the book of life, be courageous. He doesn't say that. Why? Because I think the reality of courage is you kind of know what you're facing, and then you need courage to face that which is scary. I've got a kid afraid of heights. We go on a ski lift. He knows this is going to be scary. So what does he need? He needs courage. But the reality here is Satan is so sneaky, so counterfeit-like, so intertwined into all of life that we don't know. And when we don't know, what do we need? The very last verse, verse 18, this calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding. Satan is a counterfeit. Satan wants you to worship him. And if you're not going to worship him, he wants to harm you. Something as trivial as a hangnail to something as extreme as a cancer diagnosis or total financial destruction. And he's in everything in this world, not just our wicked heart and sinful decisions. He's in the unseen realm and he's in every systemic structural thing that has ever existed. What do we need if that's true? Wisdom. Why? To endure, we need wisdom. So here's what I want to do. I thought about how do I end this? Usually I want to end like in the cross and Jesus loves you and he forgave you, which is all true. But I just want to pray for all of us and I want to model this. I think it's something we're going to need more and more is praying for other Christians in our life. I've seen this as a dad as my kids get older. I keep praying like for safety, comfort, and I just think we need wisdom, and we need to pray for wisdom for people in our life as we walk through a life where Satan is alive and well. So I want to pray for endurance for us and wisdom for us in each of our situations in life. So would you bow as I pray over you? God, thank you for the heart of John the pastor in this passage, even to end that section of a crazy dragon and a beast from the land and a beast from the sea with this simple line, this calls for wisdom. So I pray for this church family in this room. I pray for the Christians to pray for endurance, to have endurance, as they walk this life where Satan, the wounded warrior, is still at work. And God, I pray for our church family. There is no exact blueprint about the future in every detail laid out for us. There are pictures to know what's really happening. But what each of us needs desperately, desperately is Wisdom. So God, each person in this room is thinking through where they might need wisdom. You say, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask, and you generously give it. So God, give us wisdom to know how to walk faithfully in a world where the counterfeit is on the move. God, give us wisdom. Give us wisdom where we don't have it. Right now, even in this moment, God, I pray you're you're answering people's questions and concerns and hopes and cries about areas of their life where they just need wisdom. So God, give us wisdom. Help us to be a church that prays for endurance and faith and wisdom for our brothers and sisters. God, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.